Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, great to see everybody today. Everybody doing good? All right. Um, This is my first opportunity to share since we got back from Israel and we had a phenomenal trip. Great group of people. There were 99 of you guys. Uh, Just fabulous. And everybody always says, you know, like, what was your favorite part? And there's so many great things. You know, we spent a few days in the Galilee and and, and almost 90 percent of Jesus' entire ministry was within 15 miles of the Sea of Galilee. So we're right around there. It's, it's amazing. But my, my absolute favorite part is always the Temple Mount. And uh, i got a little picture of you. Uh, you can see in the background, there's Jeannie and I, and, and in the background, let me see that dome, the Dome of the Rock, and that's on the Temple Mount. Uh, it's about between 35 and 40 acres. And what, I, what, what always gets me excited is so much stuff happened there. That is the spot. In fact, under that dome is where Abraham stood with a knife up above his head, ready to kill his son Isaac. It is also the place where David made a sacrifice to stop the plagues. It's the place where Solomon built his temple right there. And when it was destroyed, then Zerubbabel built a temple right there. And then that is the spot where Herod's temple was, where Jesus went and where Jesus preached. In fact, almost all of the prophets in your Bible spent some time right there on that temple mount. In fact, if uh, there's this little, you can see it goes down and then it kind of goes up. That's called the Kidron Valley. And uh, in that valley, uh, there's Hezekiah's tomb, uh, Zechariah's tomb, the prophet Zechariah, who's in your Bible, who prophesied about you coming back with Jesus. His tomb's right there. But almost all of the prophets were there. Jesus preached constantly right up there on the Temple Mount. That's where he would go. One of the other great things about the, what's there is not just what happened, but what is going to happen. You see, that is the spot where the third temple is going to be built. Daniel talked about it and said the Antichrist will go in and stop the sacrifices and the oblation. In 2 Thessalonians, in your Bible, the Bible tells us the Antichrist will go into that temple that's going to be in right up there and, and that he will proclaim himself to be God. So it's not just what happened, but it is what, what has happened, but it is what is going to happen. Now, How many can see the dot? Okay. Right there is referred to as the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. Now, you'll notice it's closed. There's a nice close-up picture. And here's what happened. Now, there's a Bible prophecy that the Messiah will go through that gate and sit down and eat bread in that gate. So when Muslim rulers, in fact, the last one who did this was Solomon the Significant in 1541, they showed him the prophecy. The Jewish Messiah comes and he comes through the gate. And so he closed it and put a Muslim cemetery in front of it because he figured no Jewish holy man would ever 
walk through a Muslim cemetery. They did not show him the prophecy that said that the gate would be shut. So in trying to not fulfill the prophecy, he fulfilled the prophecy. And how many of you know graveyards are not much of a problem for the Messiah? And then he opens gates without any trouble. He opens the door and nobody can shut it. Then uh, just, just right off to the side, uh, we have what is commonly referred to is the triumphal road or the Via Triumpha. And that's where Jesus, in fact, we're walking down it right here. This is where Jesus gets on the donkey and he goes down and they're waving palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. There's, that's not the Messiah though, that's Jeannie. She's just got her donkey there. But this is, this is the spot. This is the spot where so many things have taken place. And as, as I told everybody on the tour, what happens is uh, your Bible goes from black and white to colored. All of a sudden, you, all the dots just connect and, and uh, it, it just, it's, it's, it's amazing. So we had a great, great time and uh, just a great group of people. It was awesome, but it is wonderful to be back. And, and I wanted to mention that on Tuesday, we're having our, our regular business lunch. And uh, this month, Brian DeSmith is the owner of uh, Apex Realty, kind of a boutique realty estate brokerage here in Grand Rapids. He's gonna be speaking. He's one of my best friends. Uh, he's, we're in a small group together. And uh, he's gonna be talking about identity when faith and common sense collide. It's going to be great. Get online, sign up if you'd like to be there. And I also wanted to mention tonight. In fact, everybody say tonight. Okay. There is nothing, nothing you could even find on Netflix or, or Amazon. What is it? Amazon Prime. There's nothing. You turn your, you, you turn your television on, it's going to break. Okay. Because tonight... We have Dr. Buddy Bell. Woo! Now, it's been a decade since Buddy Bell has been here, and uh, he's going to light your fire, and uh, we're going to have him preach his classic sermon, and uh, you're going to, it, it, it is phenomenal. He's going to be up there, and he's going to be going, some of you are going to remember. Now, now, I did not memorize this. I've just heard him preach this so many times. Oh, the infinite value of the humble gospel worker. Thousands of people were not called as leaders, but our God's number one helper. Oh, how revival work moves along. You got to get that kick. It moves along. Oh, it's going to be, we are going to have a time tonight and he's going to light your fire. Also, so do not miss tonight, 5 p.m. ground floor. But uh, right now, I want to talk to you about being disciples of Jesus. And in Matthew 28, when Jesus arose from the dead, he's with his disciples. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Now notice what he said. He said, make disciples. You see, when, when you surrender your life to Jesus, we could say you become a Christian. But from there, there is a process that you need to go through to become a disciple. And what Jesus is after is he's after disciples. That's what he's after. He said, go and make disciples. Now, you ladies know this, that 
when, if, if you want a cake and you're going to make a cake, it is a process. There are a bunch of ingredients you need to put together. Then finally you put it in the oven. And then when it comes out, the best part, you know, honestly, I'm going to confess something. I do not like cake. I like frosting. <laughs> and, and Jeannie will testify to this. When she makes a cake, I say, honey, make about that much cake and that much frosting with a big glass of cold white milk. But how many know the cake is a process? And for a person to be a disciple is not something that instantaneously happens. It is a process to become a disciple. In fact, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And we are in this, this society today, this culture, which is infatuated with self. We have a magazine called Self. Everybody's taking selfies and putting them up all the time. But Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross. And I love one, one of the gospels says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Listen, it is easier to trust Jesus with your eternity than to give him your life every day. <laughs> Say that again. It's easier to give Jesus your eternity than to give him your life every day. But what Jesus is after is not just your eternity. He's after your life every day. He says you deny yourself, you take up your cross. Now to us a cross is, is a nice piece of jewelry. In fact, we were uh, in Jerusalem, r right near the, the, the Temple Mount, and there was a man selling some, some jewelry, and I got for one of my granddaughters, I got her a, a Jerusalem cross, a silver Jerusalem cross on a silver chain. And I gave it to her, and I, don't, I do know, she's in church right now, and I guarantee you she's got it on. And she's proud and showing everybody, this is my cross, Papa got me this. And I'm like, that's right. But the cross was a means of execution. The most gruesome, terrible execution that has ever been invented. It would be more like Jesus saying, take up your electric chair. He's saying, he's saying you're going to lose your life. In fact, Jesus said, to find your life, you need to lose your life. In Luke's gospel, the 14th chapter said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when it's saying here hate, it's talking about a comparison. It's not saying that you despise somebody or you mistreat somebody. But what it's saying is this, that your love for Jesus has to greatly exceed the love that you have for anyone or any other thing. Anyone, anything that you put, if you love more than Jesus, if there is such a thing, Jesus said, you cannot be a disciple. You cannot. Not give it a try. He said, if you love anybody or anything more than me, he said, you cannot be my disciple. And, and, of course, we're living in a society today 
in, in Western culture, particularly in Western Christianity, where, where most people who call themselves Christians, I would consider to be nothing but people following a consumer Christianity. It's just about me. Now, Jesus said to deny you, but it's about me. How can you bless me? How can you serve me? What can you do for me, 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 me? I didn't like that, and I don't like this, and if you don't say what I like, I'm leaving. Well, don't let the door hit your hind end on the way out. That's what Jesus would tell you, by the way. <laughs> Isn't it? He said, you need, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But most people who say, I'm a Christian, they just, they're, 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 they're consumers. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? Bless me, serve me, help me. And I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like the next thing. You know, well, Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Right? So when Jesus says hate here, he's talking at a, about a comparison. He said, I need to be so far above every other love and loyalty that you have. And you say, yeah, but I got a tattoo of the cross and I've got some jewelry and a bumper sticker and a T-shirt and a big Bible. You know, well, you can have all that and be a consumer. Jesus is not after a few of your hours, a few of your dollars or a few of your prayers. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to have your stuff. Jesus wants you, 100% of you in me. The Bible says you were bought with a price, that Jesus bought you back from the grip of the power of darkness with his blood, and you belong to him. Spirit, soul, body, time, present, past, future, reputation, talents, skills, abilities, family, friends, money, whatever you've got, it belongs to him. Now listen, until you get to that place, Jesus says you're not a disciple. And until you get to that place, Jesus said, it's when you lose your life like that, that you will find your life. You'll, when you lose it, you will find it. So Philippians 2 verse 13 says that God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. In other words, he puts desires inside you when you get to that point and to work for them. Years ago, 35 years ago, Jeannie and I were living in Mexico. In fact, we were there for seven years. We uh, lived five years in Guadalajara, Mexico, a couple years in an Indian center, kind of an Indian village. And we were missionaries and we loved being missionaries. In fact, uh, I, I would preach sometimes in the States and this is what I would think. I would think those poor pastors, they have to preach to the same bunch of people every week. And if more of them were really committed to God, they'd be out on the mission field with us. They'd be on the front lines. We are God's green beret. We are God's Navy SEALs. 
We're the missionaries. We're out there. And we loved, 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 loved what we were doing. And I can honestly tell you that in my mind, failure was to be a pastor in America. That is how I would define failure. So we're in St. Louis, Missouri, at a missions conference at Grace World Outreach Center. And some of you remember Ron, uh, uh, Joe Tucker. Joe was the youth pastor at that church. That's where we first met. And I'm, it was at 2.30 in the afternoon and Marilyn Hickey was preaching. That's why we have her so often. Because uh, when she was, she was speaking, that's when God spoke to me. And I was sitting in the back all by myself, taking notes, listening to Marilyn preach. And, and I like to say it like this. I had a visitation from the Lord. I'm just sitting there. And the last thing on my mind, the farthest thing from my heart, would be to leave Mexico and come to Michigan and pastor a church. This is the farthest thing from my mind. How many remember when you used to go to a, a, a soda pot machine, Coke machine, and you put in 50 cents and get a Coke? Okay. You're old people. <laughs> <laughs> inflation, inflation. All right. But you, you would put that quarter in and it would kind of go clean, 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 dung, just kind of hit the bottom. I'm sitting there and it was like Jesus came by and, and he just opened me up and put something on the inside. And in, in, in three seconds, everything in my heart changed. And in three seconds, I knew I was supposed to leave Mexico, come back to Grand Rapids, pastor a church, and do four things in three seconds. And in three seconds, I have got this burning desire to do it. I mean, a burning desire. Now, two minutes beforehand, you could have come. I don't have a Bible up here, but I put my hand on a Bible. And you could have said, we will give you $10 million to move to Grand Rapids, Michigan and pastor a church. And I'd have laughed at you. I would have laughed because I was doing what I wanted to do. I was, I was doing what I felt God wanted me to do. And we were happy, 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 <laughs> happy. You understand? Happy. All right. But instantly, instantly, everything changed. Instantly, God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. And when you lose your life, you will find your life. In fact, Jesus said, you leave your low life and you will find the high life. But it doesn't happen until you are totally committed to what he has for you. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, don't let your enthusiasm wane. So I want to ask you a question. If you look, don't let your enthusiasm wane. As you look at your Christian life, was there a point in your life where you were more excited about serving God? And about your relationship with God. Is there a point where you were more excited than you are today? Or are you as excited or more excited today than you have ever been? What's the question? You don't need to answer out loud. 
But it says, don't let it wane. Because if you don't do certain things, your enthusiasm will wane. And you'll go from a every weaker to a every other weaker. And before you know it, you'll be a creaster. You say, what's that? That's somebody who shows up on Christmas and Easter. We call them creasters. But why? Because your enthusiasm wanes. Be spiritually alive, binding yourself to the Lord in service. Binding yourself to the Lord in service. In other words, if all you do is you just sit back and consume and consume and consume and bless me and give me and help me and I want and I need and I like, your enthusiasm is going to wane. You've got to be doing something in the kingdom of God. I think it's interesting that when Peter preached the first sermon in the book of Acts in chapter Acts chapter 2, they came and said, what must we do? What must we do? You see, faith is an act. Faith is an act. And, and God's called us not to be consumers, but to be participants. And we need to, be, we need to find some place where we are involved, where we're giving, where we're serving. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. See, and disciples are not consumers who are there to be served, but they are there to serve. They're there to serve. Uh, last week, Sunday night, Ross Shear spoke down over in the ground floor, and he talked about the Dead Sea. And he made several, several uh, observations. Uh, first of all, you probably didn't know this. It's the lowest place on planet Earth, over 1,200 feet below sea level. It's 10 times as salty or 10 times the minerals that you find in any ocean, which is why so many people drowned in the Dead Sea. Because if you get upside down, you can't right yourself. And you can't sink. So you've always seen pictures of people that are laying there reading a paper. And you're just laying. But here's the thing about the Dead Sea that makes it dead. Is there something flowing into it? The Jordan River. And there's nothing flowing out. Nothing flowing out. Now the Sea of Galilee has the same Jordan River flowing into it. It flows in on one end, on the north end. Flows out on the south end. And it is full of life, full of fish. The Dead Sea is dead because there is not any living creature in it. And why? Because it's receiving, but nothing's going out. Nothing's going out. And we, we need to receive, but we can't just be receivers. We've got to be giving. Which, that's the introduction to my message. We're going to have a long introduction today. Here's my point today. Disciples have an extraordinary love for people. Red people, yellow people, black people, white people, polka-dotted people. Disciples love people. I remember listening years ago to Norval Hayes preaching. He made this statement. He said, if you want to work for God, you have to love all people. Because God loves all 
people. Jesus said, what would it profit a man or a woman if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? What would the benefit be? There'd be none. Because your eternal soul is worth more than the whole world. You say, well, well, that can't be right. Now, this world is going to pass away. It will pass. It is not going to pass away in a nuclear holocaust. The Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. When after Jesus comes back, he's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. And then this earth, well, the Bible says that the atmosphere will explode in fervent heat and every element will melt. And then God creates a new atmosphere and a new earth. So that, listen, this planet, as you see it and you know it, it is temporary. But every person will live someplace forever. And forever is always more valuable than temporary. Amen. Jesus said it would profit you nothing if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul. Now, in John's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, The word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Listen, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, those have to be balanced. And so often they're not balanced. I've heard people literally screaming at somebody and saying, turn or burn, you wicked person, you are going to hell. True. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> no grace. No grace. But grace would take the truth and say God loves you and God's reaching out to you. Please come and accept God's forgiveness and be reconciled to God. Jesus was full of grace and truth, both of them. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, all these new things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. So the worst sinner you know, God's not mad at them. God's not holding their sins against them because Jesus paid for their sin. But what they need to do is come and be reconciled to God and receive the forgiveness that God has for them. God's not holding their sins against them, but he's blotting them out. Listen, this is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others. So what has he done with the message? He's given it to us to do what with? Enjoy? Tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you. If, if that's not underlined in your Bible, that ought to be underlined. We what to you? We beg you. 
as though Christ himself were here pleading with you. In other words, if Jesus was physically here, Jesus would plead with every person to be reconciled, to receive forgiveness. How many of you know that's not mad? <laughs> Years ago, there was this lady who came to church, and she, would, she had, babysat her grandson. And they were watching Christian television. And her grandson was, she told me, she said, he's bouncing on the bed. He's bouncing and watching Christian television. They're watching this particular program on Christian television. And she said to her grandson, she says, well, uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he's bouncing. He says, I want to be a mad preacher. <laughs> a mad preacher. Because this guy on television, he's screaming at everybody, telling them they're going to hell. How many of you know if you have good news, you should not talk good news mad. You ought to be glad. Amen. We ought to have glad preachers, not mad preachers. I know some people, they feel like they went to church only when they get beat up. But that's not right. Because, because we've got good news. And good news ought to be preached glad and not mad. So is there a truth that there is a hell to shun? Yes, there is. But when you take and you marry that with grace, unmerited favor, what we find the Apostle Paul did and what he said Jesus would do if he were here is he would beg you, he would plead with you to be reconciled to God, to receive the love he offers you and be reconciled to God. How I many of you, that's good news. That's good news. Now, some people think that what grace is, is grace is just you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. But that's false grace. That's not Bible grace. In Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, that, well, excuse me, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, all men. It teaches us to say no. What does grace do? It teaches us to say no to worldly passions to ungodly, worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright life in this present age. Now, the translation says this present evil age. You know, they brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus, the Pharisees, and, and they said, the law of Moses says to stone this woman. What do you say? And it's interesting, Jesus didn't answer immediately, and he, he stooped down on the ground. And the Bible says that he began to write in the ground. And as he did, he made this statement. He said, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible doesn't say what he wrote, but it does say this. It says that they left chronologically from the oldest to the youngest. They left right in, in line, right in order. And I think that what Jesus wrote was I think he put addresses and dates emails. I mean, he was, he was getting down there because it, the Bible says that their consciences convicted them. Jesus probably writing it down. And then Jesus got up. Listen, that's what he said. He said, neither. He said, where are all your accusers? And she says, there are none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And listen, go and sin no more. That was grace married to truth. And that's what the church needs to be. We need to be grace married to truth. 
We're not mad at anybody. We love everybody. And, and our heart is we will plead with anyone to be reconciled to God. In fact, the only people that you find Jesus rebuking were religious people who, who were proud of their good works and their self-righteousness. Those are the people that Jesus rebuked. When uh, we were 22 years old, I was 22, Jeannie was uh, 20. We uh, went to Mexico. And uh, we were just there a few months and we started a church. And, and whatever was done at the church, I was the doer of it. I cleaned the bathrooms. I swept the floors. I opened the doors. I closed the doors. I cut the grass. I did it all. So I remember it was May. So uh, I, I'm, I'm 23. And I'm, out, I'm outside. And uh, you, you have flower beds. And we had some flowers, but we mostly had bananas. So I was weeding the banana beds. You never heard of a banana? You've heard of banana bread, but this was banana bed, okay? Because like a flower bed, but it was bananas. And I'm weeding and uh, I'm cutting the grass, but it was a push mower. And it's May and rainy season is about to start, but it hasn't rained yet. It's 90 some degrees. I'm out there cutting and I'm out there weeding and I, I take off my shirt and I've got grass and dirt all over the place. And, and uh, right in front of the church is a sidewalk and this couple walks by and they see the sign above the, the building and it says Maranatha, which simply means Lord Jesus, come quickly. And they see that and they see me. And, and the guy says to me, he says, uh, is, is this a religious place? Is this a Christian place? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, we really love the Lord here. And, and he said to me, he said, we're holy. We're holy. And I said to him, well, we're holy too. Now, I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It says, he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So I'm thinking, in him, we're holy, we're righteous. So I said, we are too. And he said to me, no. And, and, and then he began to elaborate. And uh, I, I began to, no for, you know, he began to say it, and I began noticing. First thing I noticed was uh, he had on black shoes and black pants, white shirt, and a black like blazer like this, but it's 90 some degrees. And his wife, I don't know what color her shoes were because her thing went all the way down to the ground and it was black. And then she had on a, a black blazer and she had, well, she, she had her hair and her hair was twirled like this and it just went forever, <laughs> kind of like infinity. All right. And I'm, um, and, uh, I, I, I am not saying this to be mean, but uh, how do I say this without being mean? Uh, look, look, I mean, in fact, well, he starts telling me it's what he says. He says, he says, he says, we only wear gray and black and white. And he says, and our women never cut their long hair. And he says, and our women do not use jewelry and they do not use makeup. 
pause, hit pause, okay? She could use help. That's all I could say. She just could use some help. I think she could have been a really, you know, a, a nice looking lady. But can I just say like this? If the barn needs painting, paint it, you know, just paint it. She could have looked, I'm saying she could have been very nice look, but she just needed help. Okay. Not everybody needs help, but she just, she just needed help. And then he went on and, and he says, and we don't drink coffee and we don't drink soft drinks and we don't go to movies and we don't smoke and we don't this and we don't that and we don't this and we don't that. And then he said to me, he said, and we're holy and you're not. And they left. That was a great day. Uh, Isaiah 65, listen to this. They say to you, keep to yourself. Don't come near me because I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, God says, and a fire that burns all day long. You know what God said? He said, your best works without me, they're like filthy rags. Your best works. Monday night, I was, I was uh, preaching downtown at Mel Trotter. Now, at Mel Trotter, they, they, uh, they have a program where they're helping people get off the streets. And in any given night, if you don't have a place to stay, you can go to Mel Trotter, and they give you a meal, and they supply a bed, but they make you listen to me preach. <laughs> so, so, so I want to tell you what, 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 seriously, what I think when I go there. I think, if it was not for the grace of God, there I go. There I go if it was not for God's grace. Okay. And because of that, we know how much God has forgiven us for. And because of that, we can look at anybody. And we can say, God loves them as much as he loves me. And what God did for me... God wants to do for them. And we should never have a condemning bone in our body. Because except for the grace of God, there goes each and every one of us. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, our culture tells us that good people go to heaven. But the Bible tells us that forgiven people go to heaven. It tells us that everybody qualifies. That, that no one has disqualified themselves. That everybody gets in the same way. That everybody can meet the requirements. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except it's through me. So what Jesus is saying is that all of my efforts to be right with God could never make me right with God. That all of your efforts to be right with God could never make you right with God. He said there's just one way, and that's God's way, and that's through Jesus. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. What does that mean? It means you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And it means you need to receive the forgiveness that he has for you. Now, 
So people think, well, I know about God. And we all do because we've celebrated Easter and we've celebrated Christmas. But salvation is not about what you know. Salvation is about your heart. And Jesus said you need to be born again. You need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And if you haven't given it to him, or if you've taken it back, then you have it. And he's not a thief to steal it or a manipulator to trick you into giving it. But he says you must, must be born again. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The devil says put it off. But today is the day. And if you're here today and you're not where you should be with God, and you'd say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. And I want to receive the forgiveness that he has for me. I want to be born again, like Jesus said. I want to go to heaven and not hell. I, I want to live that abundant life that Jesus came for me to live. And I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want you to lift your hand. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm going to give him all of my heart, all of my life. I'm going to hold nothing back. Two. So get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to pray. Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me. Make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Pray with me. I'm not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand. Are there others? There's a hand. Somebody else, thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Pray with me, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? Say, Pastor, include me. I am not right, but I want to get right. All right, would everybody please stand? Thank you. God bless you. Now, if you lifted your hand, I want you to look right at me. Now, would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you and come right down here? Now, bring your Bible, bring your coat, bring the person that you came with, but make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. And we're going to say amen in just a moment. And when we say amen, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. Now, if you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We're going to wait for you. We're going to wait and we're going to pray. And this is your day. Nothing you can do is more important than getting right with God. To give them a hand as they're coming, wherever you're at, make your way down. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here. Awesome. Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, when one person repents, he said, the angels in heaven rejoice. And I'm glad you're clapping. I'm glad you're rejoicing because it is nothing compared to what Jesus said is going on in heaven right now. Now, is there somebody making it down from the balcony? There are. Oh, here they come. Awesome. Come on down. Super. Awesome. Now, Romans 10, verse 13. This is what it says. This is your verse. Whosoever, that means you and you and you and you, will call on the name of the Lord. Now, we are going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. Right? And this is God's promise to you. Will be saved. When we say amen in just a moment, you're going to be right with God. 
Your past is going to be gone. You're going to be a new person on the inside. All right, everybody, would you please take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together. I want you to make these words your own. Say, oh, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again. I believe he's coming again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I receive your love and your forgiveness. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That I'm a part of your family. That I'm forgiven. That you make me new on the inside. Part of your family today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.